What up, nerds? This is episode seven of You Don't Have to Yell. I'm your host, Dan Sally, the bad boy of nonpartisan political podcasting. Now, last week we had Mark Horger, senior lecturer at The Ohio State University, to talk with us about the factions that made up both major parties over the years. And what we found was that historically, both parties have often had ideological different, if not conflicting, factions. Great example was the Democratic Party, where in 1940, the Democratic Party had the people most likely to support desegregation and the least likely to support desegregation. Essentially, we had African-Americans looking for civil rights and a group of people wishing they were still slaves in the same exact party. Now, this week, I want to figure out what does the polling data tell us about their composition today? And for that, I have, of course, asked the data monkey Mike to join us and explain. I'll give you a short answer. Chicken or beef? I'll be back at the end to explain what that means with some closing comments. Well, good morning, Mike. Morning. How are you feeling today? I'm good. I'm good. Good. You know, good. I, I, we're, I'm back in front of my computer with my coffee and ready to ready to tackle partisanship. Let's oh, do it. Well, beautiful. Great. Great. Well, yeah. So the last two episodes have been very confusing for me, Mike. I had so first one I spoke with, or first first episode was with. Um, with uh, Trevor Barlow, who ran as an independent for governor of Vermont. Really interesting guy, very sensible person and very sensible platform. I think, you know, a lot of people in the Northeast would probably uh, really kind of align with his views on, you know, fiscal conservatism or whatever you want to call it now. And, uh, and, and, and social liberalism. That's, you know, number one. Um, then next episode, I talked with uh, Mark Horger over at Ohio State. And the interesting thing that that he was telling me is that, you know, political parties, or, or I should say, the uh, that what he said was, there's really no independent vote, like, there's really no such thing as an independent voter. And what happens is political parties, effectively find their coalitions and people identify with those. And then when there are more independent voters, it's really just because the party's realigning and there are people in transition between parties. So for example, you know, somebody like Trevor isn't so much an independent as he is a Republican who really can't identify with the Republican party anymore. And that's something actually he explicitly said uh, in uh, in in our interview, so with that, mamma jamma down on the table. <laughs> w- what do you find out? All are you right, going to confuse so, me more, or are you going to help? Uh, no, actually, I guess maybe I'll help. So, what high level takeaways? Because that's where we sort of started the last time, and I think that's probably a good one because I think it fits really, really well with what you just said. Because I think I would agree with at least the data I looked at. I kind of agree with that summary position that there aren't really that many swing voters. And there was even one paper I I had read called like, you know, the mythical swing voter, (laughs) which, um, because it was really kind of unpacking that. 
but then, you know, I think similarly, and I, and I like this too, because I think it's similar to um, ties back to what we talked about in the, the last month uh, on, on immigration is when you, when you, I found some, an interesting set of data on um, the polarization um, of, you know, the parties going back to 1880. And what's interesting to see is how it, we're actually sort of back to levels of polarization that you saw then. Um, and it fell all through sort of the early parts of the century, you know, sort of this, and this is kind of based on sort of distance between the parties on issues, right? So they, in, in their voting. And so it fell all the way to a sort of a low in the, you know, the, during sort of World War II in that time frame, and then coming out of that. And it's only in the 60s that it really started to rise again. And so, the, and, and, you know, interestingly, coincidentally, like the late 60s, right, which people would say was a tumultuous time from a social perspective. And that's only continued to to rise then all the way through. I think this data series went to 2016, but, you know, mm -hmm. I can imagine it probably doesn't change that much in the last two years. Yeah. Three years. Um, so I thought that was, so that's an interesting kind of very high level um, point because it, I think it, it's interesting that, you know, we talk about partisanship and, and a growing or hardening sort of view, ideological views. And, and I think, I think that's sort of true, to some degree, um, but um, it's, I mean, even that's a little more complicated than than the high level question. But um, yeah. but it's but it's it's definitely it's rising, but it's actually just sort of back to a period that we saw sort of post Civil War era. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of I thought that was kind of interesting. And so so polarization effectively is measured by the likelihood of people of two different parties to vote the same. Yeah. Is that more or less it? That's yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to sum it up. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So just to sum it up, 1880 comes along highly polarized, uh, goes down, goes down, goes down, goes down, goes down, keeps going down, keeps going down. And then the sixties come and then it goes back up. Was there any data on the number of unaffiliated voters during those different periods. Most of these series on the independence, or any, I, I, the, what I was looking at didn't go back as far. You know, they tend to track sort of more like the 1990s to now or the 1980s sure. to now. And, uh, and so it, you know, from that perspective, you know, party identification has, in theory, I guess, is sort of stable to slightly down for both Republicans and and Democrats. And, and the, they you, you see an increase in supposed sort of independence. But the reality is when you look underneath that, the number of true independents is is actually when you, when you start to say not just, you know, are you do you affiliate with Democrats or Democrat or Republican, are you, do you lean one way or the other? And that, that number accounts for almost, almost everyone. The number 
you know, in, in sort of by 2018, the number of, you know, theoretical independent voters that really have don't, that could be swayed any direction is sort of 7% of the, of the total. Got it. So there's, so really then like, if we're looking at the landscape today, even though you've got, I mean, relatively, it's like a third, a third and a third, you know, third Democrat, third Republican, third independent. The math isn't exact, but it's close enough. And, and what you're telling me is that third that's independent, really that they, they're going to ultimately vote either Republican or Democrat. They're just not identifying as either. Is that, and, and are they voting consistently in that way or, or no? Well, actually, that the problem here is that they don't vote. <laughs> so, oh, all right. So, all right. I just, that's a gross summary. Um, but yeah. you know, the independents who say they don't lean to a party are less likely overall to say they voted at all. Um, so if you really don't, if you really have truly no lean, you know, mm-hmm. one way or the other, you're actually less likely to even be a registered voter. Um, and then the percentage of them that actually voted is, you know, like a third. In, in a lot of ways, it seems like this kind of, you know, the two party paradigm we've created almost discourages a lot of people from participating. Is that fair? Or? Partisanship's a complicated question because you definitely have a rise in um, sort of unfavorability views of the other party, right? So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you look at, so the, the percentage of the you know parties or people who lean that way, like that view the other party as a sort of threat to the nation's well being. um, you can sort of, you can see that like the, if you look at that as sort of a measure of polarization, you know, like 27% of Democrats see the Republican party as a threat to the, to the nation and, you know, 36% of Republicans see the Democratic Party as a threat to the nation's well-being. And like you can put that in the context of sort of the longer term, the data series on just like very an unfavorable view or favorable view, you know, and and the percentage of people who have a very unfavorable view of the other party. And sort of in 1994, you had sort of 16% of Democrats saying that they had a negative view or a very unfavorable view of the Republican party that's grown to sort of 38% overall. And, you know, and then that 38 would contain the 27 that says, you know, it's outright an outright threat um, to the country. Mm-hmm. And similarly on the other side, you have, you know, in 1994, you had about 17% of Republicans had a very unfavorable view of democratic uh, uh, Democrats. And that's, then progressed higher to 43% of Republicans have a very unfavorable view. And then again, within that 43, you know, 36 percentage points of that are seeing the part of the democratic party as a threat to the nation. You know, one of the questions I asked ahead of this episode was really to figure out like, okay, what are the issues the independent folks are voting on, but they're not voting. So is there anything they care about or not really. If you're identifying as an independent in that sort of 42% of independence, right? Even though there's a, there's a lean in there. So let's, let's, let's take the high level independent view um, mm-hmm. and not, not sort of start, not the 7% of sort of theoretical swing or independent, no lean, but the independents generally are fit a bit. It would seem in that, um, 
that socially liberal, fiscally conservative okay. kind of view, right? So, yep. and then they may then, I guess, whether they feel a little bit more one way or the other, they'll, they'll lean, you know, so if you're a Republican leaning, you would seem like what that says is your more socially conservative, but not so much so that you want it, or you're fiscally conservative, but you still have some social liberal views. So you don't want to, so you don't, you're not willing to identify entirely with the party. Right. And, and similarly yeah. on the other side, um, because you can see the percentage of independents who let's say are supportive of same sex marriage or legalized marijuana use or like the things that you maybe think of as socially liberal, mm-hmm. those seem to be, you know, higher and look more like, you know, generally more like, uh, democratic sort of views. Right. And, yeah. and that would, and that fits across like both whether or not they lean Republican, lean Democrat or, or they have no lean. So even, yeah. so if you lean Republican, you, but you're not, you're not an actual Republican. So like say you know, the percentage of Republicans who identify as Republicans who are against allowing say gays and lesbians to marry legally mm-hmm. is about like 54%, you know, oppose it. But those, uh, but then those who lean Republican, it's like 37%. Got it. And similarly, like if you look at, you know, the percentage of Republicans who are, you know, for you know, marijuana being made legal that's, mm-hmm. you know, 45%. But of those who lean Republican, it's 60%. And it's, so, for, and those for no lean, like independence with no lean, yeah. that's 70%. So you could see like, and again, I'm using these as a proxy for social issues. So, but, but that's, I mean, it's not a bad one. I think these are kind of ones that you'd think of as sort of libertarian, socially liberal yeah. kind of issues. I'm surprised. So just to jump back to something you said, the people who identify Republican, so these are like the red folks, not like the, the the pink in the middle folks. The red folks are only 54% oppose gay marriage. Is that correct? Overall, so you can break it down by this. Like, So the overall number was, um, I guess maybe there must be a no opinion in here because they've got, you know, oppose was 32 and favor is the 62 total. Right? Sure. So 62% of people surveyed, um, you know, were in favor of it. And that was 40% of Republicans. And then, you know, 73% of Democrats and 70% of independents. And then, you know, again, pointing to that sort of those in the independents that where they lean Republican, it's definitely higher than the average Republican. But to, to your point, yeah, the, there must be, you know, even if there's, I'm sure there's some margin of error in these polls, but you could yeah. say, you know, yeah, that roughly, you know, um, less than half of more than a third of people who identify as Republican are still, are not opposed to, um, to gay marriage. Huh. So keeping that in mind, because obviously when folks think of like the key differences now between the two parties, the social issues are probably the most glaring one. Like, where are the big gaps? So what are the, what are the issues that are going to define, you know, are you Republican? Are you Democrat? What are the issues they feel strongest about? You know, government regulation of business does more harm than good. 
if you are a Republican or you lean Republican, then you are 68% like of those would say, yes, government regulation of business does more harm than good. And, you know, and that's pretty consistent. I'd say it dipped into the, in the two thousands. Um, but it's basically at 68% still in line with where Republicans and Republican leaners were in say the 1990s, right? So 64% mm -hmm. in 1994, 68% in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, Democratic view of is government regulation of business uh, do more harm than good? 46% in 1994, 29% in 2014. So you can see Republicans are as, you know, as likely you know, if not more so to say that government regulation is bad as they've been for sort of 20 plus years. And the Democrats have had almost a more favorable view of regulation over that time. Um, okay. Similar kind of, again, you can see a similar trend in that, in, in that, you know, when you ask about government being, you know, government is almost always wasteful and inefficient. That shows up there. Got it. Got it. So basically, if you what what I'm picking up is like if you vote Republican, you are more likely to be interested in less regulation than you are in, you know, gay marriage or abortion or guns. Is that fair, or am I? I don't. Well, I don't want to extrapolate to say like a, the abortion and guns question, but I think um, at least based on that, I think your your statement's correct. Mm -hmm. um, based on say like the gay marriage. Yeah, this is interesting. So then, because you know, one of the things that I talked about with uh, Mark Horger in the last episode was the the idea that really what the major political parties seem to do is they seem to like seek out populations of voters who will identify with them. And they very often do it with very inconsistent, uh, with, with very like, they, they very often do it without any regard for philosophical consistency. So a, a great example he cited was in 1948, if you were a Democrat, you were in the party most likely and least likely to favor civil rights. So, okay. yeah. So basically yeah. the the people who felt the strongest about the people who felt the strongest about desegregation on either side were both in the same party. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting because putting that in the context of the um, the series I was talking about earlier uh, on sort of that mapping, um, you know, sort of a spatial map of, of sort of legislators voting records. Um, it's interesting to see what happened here because I said, you know, in the sort of 19, sort of late 30s to the to 1960s, you had sort of the the lowest point of distance right between the parties but interestingly that breaks down a little differently if you look at it by um southern democrats and and northern democrats mm -hmm. so and that's i think the point here um your your 
professor was going to make in there, right? That actually, if you look at sort of the late 40s, early 50s, the distance between Southern Democrats and Northern Democrats was actually quite wide. Mm-hmm. And that that's gotten narrower in the last um, in the last few years, even as you know the distance between the parties has increased, right? So, so you can see like, there definitely were there were significant uh, you know differences within the part and within the Democratic Party around mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. So everything we're talking about seems to tell me like there is very little consistency the issues that we seem to think are these sort of linchpin issues for the parties, the parties themselves don't really care about. So gay marriage, great example. It's like, got like 50% support in the most partisan of the people in the party, which you would think, again, the gay marriage issue would be a little more of a hot button there. And so all this is telling me is that Basically, people kind of figure out which camp they want to align themselves with and just kind of sit there. But there's not a lot of passion or not a lot of like ideological fervor over it. Is that? That seemed to be the gist of some of the papers I read around mm-hmm. polarization, right? Yeah. That there, there seemed to be, um, you know, as I, as I looked through some of the academic work on this, it seemed to imply that we, we, talk about polarization obviously a lot more so if you look at this you know one one person did the the obvious of doing the google you know the google engram yeah. data to plot them you know just polarization generally right as in books that you know talk about parties and that number's gone up pretty significantly right along with, you know, sort of, as I say, the distance between the parties, right? So um, voting records. So we certainly talk about it quite a bit. Um, But I think it, I think, you know, so the, but yet the discussion, you know, where those, where those papers sort of went was to say, we kind of over, we overemphasize polarization on issues and actually sort of under um, weight the, the sort of just polarization of sort of identity, I guess what people would call like identity politics, right? Like we almost look at it like uh, as a proxy for, it's almost like a, a, like a race discussion, right? Like you you either align with this party or the other one. And, and we'd almost think of it as, you know, like inter-party marriage is like interracial marriage. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say is it's like, it's, it's at a point now where, again, if you're talking like 30, 40 years ago, it, it, whether or not an interracial marriage would be accepted or whether or not parents would be accepting of that was obviously like, you know, better than a coin toss, they wouldn't be. Um, it seems like we've progressed there, but just figured out a new way not to like people. And, uh, hmm. and so now it's, uh, now it's partisan lean. Um, and and I, you know, I I I, I want to like kind of hover over that that idea for a second because I feel like, you know, when I look at the 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 arguments that take place today, they don't have a ton of ideological consistency. Yeah, no, but that's it's interesting because I think it's it's sort of yeah I think one 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 interesting set of data I had was um, looking at. Uh, 
liberal or like our consistency of yeah. your views, right? So are you consistently liberal across all your views or, or consistently conservative across your views yeah. when asked a series of questions, right? And interestingly, so ideological consistency on the one hand would seem to have increased in the sense that, you know, in this data, unfortunately it was like 2004. So mm. let's assume, you know, we have to assume the trajectory was sort of the same, but I guess based on some of the polarization data, I'm going to assume it probably has continued, but just generally saying in the 1980s, you know, from, from, from like 1982 to 1990 respondents were only 24% like consistent across mm. their answers. Like, and then, by 2004, that number's increased, but it's still 33%. So it's sort of interesting to see, like, relative to your point, that we're more consistent. We're lining up more consistently, but we're still pretty inconsistent in the sense that, you know, the total respondents are, that's increased from a quarter to a third being consistent across their views, but it's still only a third. Yeah. This is great because, you know, when we started this conversation, I was, I was, I was like a man wandering through the desert and I was in search of who is the independent voter? You know, what do they look like? And what I'm learning from this is that not only is there no independent voter, (laughs) there's really no Republican or Democrat voter either. Like there's, there, there's like from an ideological standpoint, is that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Cause the overall, like, well, they are hardening. Like, so, so you can get to this polarization where you say the yep. overall share of Americans who are consistent in their conservative or consistently liberal opinions has, has increased. Right. So this is like the Pew research data is like that the number who are consistently conservative or consistently liberal yeah. has doubled, but that number has doubled from 10 to 20%. Okay. So, so basically you're talking about like only 20% of Americans actually care are, are expressly like consistently conservative across all their opinions or consistently liberal across all their. Yeah. It's like an airline meal, you know, they, they're going to serve you chicken or beef and you're going to kind of fall on one camp or the other. And maybe like there are, you know, the, the hardcore pro chicken folks or the hardcore, you know, pro beef folks, but for the most part, we're all kind of like, well, you know, I'm on the plane. It's a free meal. I want to eat. I'm not particularly psyched about it, but I'll take the beef, please. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> no, that, that's right. Yeah. And like, there are, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> and I, I like that actual analogy because it, and it fits with your independent voters too. Yeah. Because like, because there's like 7% are like, I don't care. And they're like, do you, do you lean toward chicken or beef? You're like, no, nah, I really don't care. And then of those two thirds of them are just like, in fact, I just, I'm not going to eat. Just, just don't give me that. Yeah. Like I'm not going to just, you know, don't bother. I'm going to pass. Yeah. I don't want it. Yeah. I, I'll, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've still got some, some chips from the, the terminal. I'll just kind of nosh on these and yeah. So, so basically if we're, if we're to like sum all this up, and we're to give the listeners a takeaway, it's that the American political system, as it stands with two parties, is like an airplane. About a third choose chicken, and out of those, 
about a fraction of those people actually are really psyched about the chicken. Same goes for beef. And then a whole bunch of people just choose not to eat. Yeah. And that's and they it. just tend to lean toward one or the other. Yeah. Yep. And the whole plane's yelling at each other. Oh, for sure. Oh, every, everybody <laughs> on the plane's yelling at each other. So, our political system is highly polarized right now. But the people who vote, not so much. It seems like there's a real large, moderate middle that chooses the party that best represents their views, but doesn't really want to be identified with the folks screaming at each other from the far sides across the aisle. And if we go back to our last episode, a lot of the blame can be placed on the the first-past-the-post voting system we have in this country. Now, where other countries have proportional systems of elections, where a party that gets 25% of the vote gets 25% of the seats in parliament, we have a system where all you need to do is carve out districts where your party is guaranteed to win 51% of the vote and you've got a seat. And the result is that in a lot of these districts, the primary is the general election. This happens right where I live in Massachusetts and only the most partisan candidates make it through. And it leaves a lot of us either choosing the lesser of two evils or not voting at all and creates this environment where the parties really have to cater to the extreme parts of their base to win. And I think that's what we're seeing today. Now, here's a little bit of good news. You can change this at the state level because the Constitution doesn't say anything about a congressional district. It gives the power of allocating members of Congress to the states. And that's a much easier nut to crack. Now, to wrap up September... I've invited an old friend of mine from Ireland who is fairly active in politics over there to talk about their proportional system of electing representatives, how that impacts party identity, and maybe how that might result in an environment where people are just a little nicer to each other than they are here. Hope you'll join me. Until the next, this is Dan Sally signing off.